This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. We've got a very, very special episode today. And notice I said very twice because we have two guests. That's right, folks. It's a two-for-one tonight on the Young Makers Podcast. So we are the podcast for Young Makers and for everybody because we're all Young Makers once. Hmm. Um, you know, we're... I'm 15. I've got a couple of young teenage knife maker guests on today, and we're going to be talking about the issues and advantages of being a young maker, what we do, the work that we do, and why we do it, and a little bit about ourselves as well. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I'd like to introduce you guys to Caleb Gant and Peter, I can't say his last name. How's it going, guys? Hello. So, would you guys like to give yourselves a good introduction? We'll go Caleb first. Yeah, sure. So, my name is Caleb Gant. Uh, I'm Gant Forge Works on Instagram, and I'm a soon-to-be 16-year-old maker in Marietta, Georgia, which is in the south of the United States. And I started making knives about a year and a half ago, and uh, I do mostly stock removal, but I'm getting into forging. Awesome. And now, Peter, you want to introduce yourself. Okay, so my name is Peter Azert. Uh, I am a 17, soon to be 18, in a week or so, um, Belgian blacksmith. So obviously, I'm from Belgium. Uh, for those who don't know it, Belgium is a tiny country in the middle of Europe and also like the capital of Europe. Uh, I've been forging and stock removal, doing stock removal on knives for the past four years almost. Uh, yeah, most I do mostly forging, uh, mostly making knives. I mostly forge them, but I also do lots of other ends and about stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. That's perfect. So, as you can see, we really have a globally represented uh, <laughs> global cast here today. It's It's yeah. a special one, and I'll tell you guys. Trying to figure out the time zones on this one was a gong show. Yeah. So you're welcome that I put all this work in for you guys to have awesome guests on here is uh, what I guess I'm trying to say. Um, but you guys appreciate it, I know, based off the reviews we've been getting, which I really mm -hmm. appreciate. So let's start off, start off real strong with what you guys have been doing in your shops this week. Um, I'll start off for myself. Not a ton. I'm waiting for supplies. They're getting here tomorrow. It's Sunday right now. So yeah. on Monday, I'm getting, I've, you know, spent more money than I've ever spent in one order on just belts and steel. So we all I know the feeling. Good to go. Yeah. I know how that goes. Disappears real quick. Yeah. So stuff's getting here tomorrow. I've got a blade half forged out. I sort of quit halfway to come have lunch or something and, uh, so I'll clean that up tomorrow and then start on grinding and whatnot. Um, I did a small carving knife just as a little experiment. It's not as hardened as I would like it to be, but it was shaving wood pretty nicely. I tried doing a spoon, and I realized that I don't have anything to hollow the bowl out. So I've got just a flat spoon right now, but it was a fun little project to try. 
And now my entire house is full of wood shavings. So that's a good one. It got like in my pockets. I'm still finding them everywhere. So yeah, that was I share good. a shop with my dad who's a woodworker. So I know all about sawdust and wood shavings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but when you, when you grind metal, I mean, of course, it's, it's super dirty. It gets everywhere. But you don't mm. notice it as much as the uh, wood shavings like wood you drill a hole and there's wood everywhere but yeah with metal and it's so fine it floats yeah, everywhere yeah. across the shop mm-hmm. it, it really gets into your lungs like every time <laughs> every wood that i work with is like an exotic wood and like african mm-hmm. blackwoods or like woods out of the amazon forest so those are especially carcinogenic so i always yeah. wear a respirator when working with those woods quick tip to you guys save your lungs yeah young makers podcast wear a mask (laughs) so yeah that's been my week it's been a little bit of a slower one doing a little bit of babysitting to get some extra money for my upcoming Mm. forge build and um so yeah i've been planning that i've got it all i've got it all figured out i found a local supplier for all my refractory i'm doing two inch kale wool covered in itc and extra soft fire bricks. So it's going to be no oh, durability, be but it's going to be hot. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how that goes for me. Hopefully I don't have to reline it next month, but mm. we'll see. Uh, Caleb, you want to tell us what's been going on in your shop this week? Yeah. So um, I haven't been doing too terribly much, not as much as I was doing over the summer, you know, because of school. And um, you know, I share a shop, so I don't have, you know, shop privileges all the time. But I finished up a Sanmai hunting knife at the beginning of the week and got that posted up. I also sent out a knife for a giveaway that I recently do, uh, did to a pretty nice guy in Virginia. So I'm excited to see you know, what he does with that. And then I've been working on a, a hydraulic press build for a couple of months now. And so I was just getting some more work done on that. It's been a beast, but I'm, I'm getting close to the finish. But yeah, other than that, um, just lots of school, and also I've been diving into Fusion 360 recently uh, because my friend, he's designing a grinder, and I was like, you know what, I want to design another one. So I've been spending the past probably two days working on that, and it's turning out pretty nice. That's awesome. That's definitely some exciting stuff. So when you say designing a grinder, you mean a 2x72? Yeah, so I do. Uh, so I, I made my 2x72 that I have and it's um it's pretty simple it's just one tube uh and just you know spring tracking if you uh you know Brian House I kind of followed his design for uh took elements of how he does his tracking and uh, used the same motor so I just kind of followed that and then adapted it to use what I had in the shop it's been it's been pretty good so far that's sweet. And you mentioned Brian House. I have an episode on his podcast. Work yeah. for it also on the Makery Network. Uh, Kenzie Aaron and the Fabergé Egg, which is uh, <laughs> you'll have to watch to find out where that came from or listen. I mean, that was a, that uh, was a nice episode. I was listening to that while shoveling through sludge in a garage of a hoarded house. Oh yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where. Well, my first podcast experience, and they're pretty serious. Like they're they're funny too, but they're pretty, you know. Especially Trent gets pretty serious. And yeah, they go know, pretty talk, deep. 
go yeah they go deep and i think i wonder if that's where i got how uh serious our podcast is I know my mom was laughing at it, listening to it. She said, all these kids are so serious, young men. <laughs> we're all so serious. So we'll see if this episode will change that or we'll just keep being serious here. Yeah. Uh, Peter, you want to walk us through what's been going on in your shop? I know I've seen a lot of Damascus on yeah, your stories, yeah. so I'm oh, interested yeah, to hear. So for the last years, I never had a lot of time to work on my knives. I never had a 2x72. I still don't have one. So a lot of my work is completely by hand uh, with files and such so it never really was really able to put out a lot and so this vacation i mean this summer holiday i had a an exam that i had to take again and it was pretty important so i had no time to do it but for the, like the last year i have had a lot of orders that i had one second sorry all right, well, it sounds like he's having some something going on over there. Uh, um, he mentioned a lot of orders. I guess we can... Yeah. So, Caleb, do you sell your work? I do sell my work uh, when people want it. I, I had yeah, probably... Oh. Uh, you can go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come uh, back to sorry. that later. Yeah. My little brother came in. He didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, uh, no problem. Yeah, so... I mean, I had a lot of orders that were piling up because uh, I never found myself good enough to sell things. And that all changed at the beginning of the summer. So I opened myself up for orders and I immediately, after a few weeks, had to stop because I couldn't accept anymore. And so the last two weeks, I've been nailing out order after order and I just couldn't be happier. I was able to use the power hammer uh, of a smith in my town and like on one day we smashed out billet after billet of the uh, billet of Damascus I still have like two or three giant billets each one that's enough nice. to make two or three knives so yeah that's that's been going on <laughs> that's some exciting stuff is he yeah, yeah. does he have a 2x72 he's letting you use too or you're still filing um, all those no, he has like an industrial, he has industrial grinders. I am just going to buy one of those because the belts are a lot wider. And personally, I mean, instead of um, grinding into the platen, uh, a platen that is like, how do I say this? Not horizontal, but um, right up. This yeah, platen, this platen is horizontal. And personally, hmm. I like it much more because I have better control that way. So I've used that one. And for me, it works so good that I, I will probably buy one of those instead of a 2x72. That's and interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That is interesting. How long are those belts? Uh, those belts, they are a bit longer than a 2x72. I can't really say it because, uh, yeah, I'm a centimeter boy. And also, like, the um, the motors are a lot more powerful. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I've been enjoying that one. The only downside that there is is the, um, that the belt, it doesn't run up to the edge of the, of the grinder. So if I buy one, I'd probably grind out the piece so I can put it right to the edge to make mm. a nice transition 
but for now it has worked perfect perfectly sorry that's great yeah, those, i know i used to use like a four by 36 and that was my biggest issue was uh yeah that's what yeah, i was gonna say that edge there you get you can't mm-hmm. you can't do plunge lines or yeah anything like that yeah for i couldn't um I couldn't figure out the name, but yeah, the plunge lines, it's impossible to do on those unless you modify the grinder. It's not a really aggressive mod. It's, I mean, it's irreversible, but it Mm. won't affect the workings of the grinder if if you use it for something else, for something other than knives. So I'd probably do that one. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So... With that out of the way, now that we sort of uh, have an idea of who you guys are and a basic understanding of what you do, I would like to dive a little bit deeper and go back to, you know, how you got into bladesmithing, what made you get into bladesmithing, and just, you know, walk me up from the beginning to today. Start with Caleb. Um, so, I've kind of a... I don't know, I said when I was younger, I was really into, uh, you know, a lot of YouTube, and I would watch, you know, sort of a DIY videos and all of that. And I found a channel that would smelt um, aluminum. They made their own, uh, I guess you'd call it a furnace, and they'd smelt it in their backyard. So I was like, you know what? I really want to do that. So I tried to make one out of a sink and uh, just some charcoal. And I didn't end up going too, you know, too well, obviously. But... After that failure, I decided that I was going to do some more research and figure out, you know, how how can I do this, you know, more efficiently, get it hotter, and I came across blade forging, and that once I saw that, you know, I was kind of hooked. And then a couple of weeks later, I found Forge and Fire, and it just kind of snowballed from there. When now all I could think about was making knives, and getting a forge and an anvil, and I was super excited. So it probably took me about you know, two years, probably you know, four years ago is when I got my forge. It's a majestic forge two burner. I still use it to this day. It works perfectly fine for me. And, you know, I slowly was doing a little bit of, a little bit of forging off of just a 15 pound anvil, which does not work too well. If anyone is thinking about buying one, don't. I got mine for free, which is lucky, but they don't do anything. Um, but it wasn't, hey. what was you going to say? Oh, sorry, I'll just say you're much better off with a big block of steel. Yeah. Um, when I started, I got a 12-pound anvil, and then I went to, uh, there's a machine shop in my town, and they had, it's a big, you know, maybe 40 or 50-pound block of steel cut off of a big forklift tine. Mm. And so it's tough stuff, and it's a nice, you know, heavy block. Uh, so you're much better off to just go to the scrapyard or a machine shop, probably has something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you should be able to find a block of steel is much better than a small anvil. That little horn isn't going to make a difference. Yeah. Or even buy the 50-pound cast anvils from, like, Harbor Freight is much better than buying something really little. Mm-hmm. So that's an investment you'll definitely want to make. Yeah. Yeah, so, so when I started, I bought little... 10 kilogram anvil. Uh, it wasn't from Harbor Freight, but it's our equivalent to Harbor Freight. So it was pretty crappy. And mm. I mean, if you banged on it, even when the metal was hot, you dent the surface. And so <laughs> that worked for like the first year or so. 
And then I was driving with my father and I saw an anvil on the road. So we oh, stopped. Wow. I asked the guy who lived there, like, what do you want for this anvil? He said, name me a price. By the way, it was a, a beautifully, beautifully cast uh, anvil, about 150 kilograms. Only problem that the face of it was a bit dented and a bit worn down, but nothing that an angle grinder couldn't fix. So I said 190 euros, which was very reasonable uh, in Belgium for such an anvil. And he said, yeah, for if you come back next day for 120 euros, you can take it. So naturally, the next day I came there, uh, 120 euros. I saved 70 euros. So that was super nice of that guy. And yeah, since then, That's I've crazy. had a very decent anvil. Uh, only when I fought, I mean, I haven't bolted it down to the block of wood that it sits on. So when I forge a whole day, sometimes I have to scoot it a little bit, bit back mm. on the block. But for the rest, it works perfectly. And you'll get more power if you lock it down. Yeah, too. It's, yeah, yeah. But you know, I just took I just took two pieces of flat bar and drill or four pieces, one for each foot, and then drilled two holes through it, and then put uh, lag bolts into the stump it took. And you know it's pretty quick and it works nice, nice and tight. Yeah, I, I mean, that. I don't, I don't forge that often on my anvil, so I, I really, I never really had the necessity to do it. But it's one of those things that I will definitely have to do one day once I get the time. Once I, I mean, once I find the time. Oh yeah. Well, I actually learned recently that um, blacksmithing is not quite so um, on vogue as it was a couple years ago mm. or even a couple months ago trying to sell. I have two anvils that I needed to get rid of. Just I needed the money, you know, to pay for lots of stuff. I bought a 120-pound, 130-pound um, Peter Wright in really nice Ooh. condition, which was a lot better than my 130-pound mouse hole missing a big chunk out of the face. Yeah. But. So I upgraded, and then I needed to get rid of that and a small Ajax that I picked up for cheap. Well, I thought it was cheap, and then I wanted to sell it for more, but apparently that price was normal. So, you know, anvil prices are way lower than they were just a couple months ago. So I'd, But I still got a big pile of cash from the two of them that I, I like to look at. So it's it's okay. But that's just something I noticed is it's not so hot as it used to be. Yeah, it's still around here, uh, you know what? 200 pound Peter Wright goes for about $3,000 and I don't have $3,000 so I'm still using my railroad track anvil. Yeah, here the regular prices for like decent anvil uh, for are like 500, 500 euros or something. Mm. For me, I mean, that's a lot of money. I, I don't really uh, want to give that much money to something that's very nice top of the line but i won't use it that often like i'd rather invest that money in like better grinders oh yeah um yeah or like bits and bobs that are better or like daikum i never bought daikum i bought it mm. like a few weeks ago it been it has been working a charm and it's just one of those simple things that's yeah that you just yeah, have to buy that you buy eventually, and that's like, yeah, it works yeah, like a charm. An automatic center punch for me is actually what I'm holding right now. Yeah. I didn't mm. buy that until probably two months ago, but it's 
so much better than just using like a nail, especially you know if you're drilling uh, pinholes and knives, which I don't do a lot of hit full tanks, but even then, it's so much easier to just have a cinder punch on there instead of having to try and mm -hmm. line it up and clamp it down. And... Yeah, well, there are a lot of little things that um, as you pick up, it really does make a big difference in your shop. Like, yeah. what did I... I just got something recently that really... Oh, I can't remember what it was. But yeah, I had one of those same moments where you just, you know, you get a little... Some little thing you've been meaning to pick up for a while, mm, and it's a total yeah. game changer. Mm -hmm. I've been yeah. wanting like a drill press for a long, long time, but the prices right. for drill presses in Belgium are like insane. A new one is over two thousand euros. Um, wow! Yeah, if you buy a second-hand one, that's like even the smallest one, like a really, really small one, second-hand, hundred fifty, two hundred euros. And so Crazy. sometimes I have this weird luck that when I find something that's insanely cheap, it's always in my town. And I don't know why. So <laughs> I found nice. um, a very little drill press. But, I mean, it's big enough for knives. Handles fit perfectly under, under it. So mm -hmm. that's nice. And it was 15 euros. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean... Like also my big lag vice, I've been searching for it for ages for one like that. And the prices were like 400 euros, 500 euros. And then I found one, 50 euros, uh, 50 kilograms. It was not even a kilometer from my house. So yeah, I don't know yeah, why, that's... but if you keep searching, you will find something. That's exciting. And I know I check Kijiji every day for when I'm looking for something. True, like true. when I was searching for anvils, I would re refresh my, I guess you guys don't have Kijiji, Craigslist. Yeah, you know, yeah Craigslist. Any, any of those type things, no, you know, you no. just refresh it every day mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you'll find something eventually. I kind of yeah, lucked out like... with, the, uh, with the vice and the drill press because it came with our house. The guy that used to live here ran a uh, an engine swapping company. So Ooh. he left an old drill press, which is actually pretty nice. I'm not exactly sure how big it is, but it's a pretty nice one. And uh, a pretty big vice and then a smaller vice as well. So I've been using That's those nice. for the past couple of years. Well, let's get into um, Peter. I don't think you gave us your backstory from start to now. So Okay, so uh, um, Priya, I've always been fascinated by the idea of making things. I've always been a drawer. I've always made things with made things with Lego, with cardboard. But like with cardboard, I made giant things, and like that I could sit in. And so I've always been like a maker. And then I've started making things out of wood uh, at my grandpa uh, grandpa's house. But like nothing super fancy. But for me, it was like getting to know the tools. But then I don't know why, but I've abandoned it a little bit. And then so when I was um, in the first, I, I don't know how, how it's called. I mean, first year of high school, the Belgian variant of high school. Uh, I was, um, I, don't, I don't know how to say this, but uh, some schools, you sleep the whole week there. And only in the weekends oh, yeah. you return to your home. So I was there. Okay. And so every evening we had like an hour or two that we were just alone at our chamber and everybody watched YouTube. And I don't know why, but I started 
watching Man at Arms Reforged. Oh, yeah. I think everybody oh, yeah. knows that one. Mm -hmm. I think everybody can relate to that one. So I really wanted to do that, but I always thought, I mean, the first two years, I thought, mm, I can't do that. I mean, look at all the equipment. I'm 12 at that time, I thought, I think. So I thought it was impossible, but then I saw the one and only Alex Steele. Um, ah. I think I saw him when he had like 10,000 subscribers, maybe less. I think the first project I saw from him was uh, Forging of a Leaf. And so I thought, if this guy can do it, I can do it. I started to ask a lot, ask it to my parents. And it was always a no. They thought it was too dangerous. But then a few years later, um, we had this agreement. If I scored that mark on my exams, I could buy a forge. And so naturally, I studied harder than ever before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know why, but suddenly it worked. And yeah, I bought a Devil Forge, I think, for 180, 180 euros on uh, eBay. And that's how I started. And then, yeah, you keep said on about, expanding. Yeah, you said about having to uh, study hard to be, able, be allowed to do it. I had to write a seven-paragraph essay about the history of knives, the uses of knives, and how <laughs> knives are made before yeah. my parents would let me buy an ankle grinder. Uh, really? Yeah, my my dad is a welder, my grandpa's a welder, so we're you know yeah. metalworking family. And so, when I said I wanted to do it, they're like, "All right, we'll do your research." And you know, as long as I kept showing them that I was putting in the work and I was, you know, spending a lot of time researching, I also bought a Devil Forge actually. And I they think are that that really was really good. They are really good. If well, anybody, um, sorry, yeah, maybe <laughs> that's a different Devil Forge because I know mine is one. It's one inch thick unsealed kale wool mm -hmm. with two burners that the attachment for the yeah. for the propane is just a tube that you have to you just <laughs> slide the hose over it and pipe clamp it. And I regret buying I don't regret buying it, but I wouldn't recommend it. It yeah, works it's sketchy. and it got um sorry. It's kind of sketchy. Is what said. Yeah, I got like it works and it'll get steel hot. I don't know about forge welding in it and I never really tried, but it's well, one, it's unsafe for you, as I learned later. Now I'm working on a new propane. Uh, secondly, I you know, it's not that great for the price, really. It's the cheapest propane forge you'll be able to find, but I'm building my propane forge right now and for it's about 50 bucks cheaper. I'm going to have something, you know, with just so much better. So I know building one seems really daunting, but if you can find a burner and then just do your insulation, you know, get a propane tank, cut it open, line it with two yeah. inches of kale wool, seal it, and, you know, fire brick floor, fire brick doors, you can really get started like that. Well, and I would just... recommend that way above buying... A very cheap forge. Yeah, it's whether or not you have the skills for me, to make For me personally, that. I'm just gonna disagree with everything you said. Sorry, <laughs> but the one I bought had one burner. It was really small. I bought it for, as I said, 180 euros, and I could confidently say that it was probably my best buy ever in blacksmithing because it 
worked the charm. Okay, it was unsealed KWU, so that wasn't ideal. But for the rest, the burner burned like crazy. I could forge weld, and two and three or five minutes, my forge was screaming hot. So that's super nice to have. Uh, once you when you place some fire bricks in front of it, you can perfectly get to forge welding heat even without placing it in front of the um, forge and also the burner is so good that in my forge i have now i built a way large way larger forge but i kept the same burner the only thing i changed was make a new nozzle for it because the nozzle had melted down a bit uh, but yeah personally for me um, a burner here in Belgium, a decent one, costs like 100 euros more. Uh, 100 euros or more. And like the least kale wool that you can buy, the least quantity, is about 50 or 60 euros. So in the end, the 20 euros difference between making it and getting one and when I got one I was a hundred percent sure that it would work for me personally I thought that was a good decision but yeah I yeah mean, you should always do your research and you know look a bit what's what's best for you personally yeah I guess it's it's a tricky one because they are so cheap you know and you it is about the same price as building it but I think you you know, if you take your time and it's a lot more time into research for sure, and then you have to build the thing. But if you can, I would recommend it. Yeah. Um, I know I tried a couple times and I failed to build a forge too. But at the same time, I didn't use kale wool. And it's all, you know, uh, burners are pretty, there's a lot of information out there on how to build them. I found frosty tea burners on the iForge Iron, uh, not podcast, forum. And, you know, it's printed off PDF plans with a material list and step-by-step -step instructions with pictures. And I think that if you have a little bit of help, you could definitely build it. But if you're going to buy a Devil Forge or something with unsealed kale wool, just buy the spray yeah. to seal it up because that's incredibly carcinogenic. Uh, I wish I knew that earlier. But... Yeah, that's, that's very true. Like, I didn't use any sealant for three or three years i've only have had i've only built my new forts uh two or three months ago so i don't want to know how my lungs look right now luckily i mean <laughs> i haven't used it that much but still yeah yeah I'm seal it up. and at least i was using it outside too so yeah, i'm hoping too, i'm not gonna just die but yeah <laughs> fall <laughs> over inside would buy the spray would be unfortunate <laughs> yeah it's like 20 dollars for the spray and it'll and it'll make your kale wool last longer as well. True. That's very true. Yeah. Or yeah. you could use a coating like ITC. Um, yeah. Is a heat reflectant coating. It'll seal It'll seal your wool as well. Although I'd recommend spraying the sealer then the ITC. It makes the application easier, they say. But anyways, it's up to you how you want to get into forging. Whether you buy or build. Regardless, seal your wool and you should be okay. Mm -hmm. So... That brings me into, well, that doesn't bring me into it at all. But the next question is some of the challenges and advantages of being a young maker. And this question has proved to yeah. be completely different than I expected. Because I thought 
there would be a lot of challenges people thought of. And then when people kept saying, oh, not really, not much, then I expected any challenges people found would be the same. And I thought this question would get boring. But so far, everyone has brought up really interesting, you know, issues that they have that were things I never even thought of. And so no pressure on you guys, but yeah. you got any interesting disadvantages <laughs> um, or anything you've struggled with? Personally, first of all, the disadvantage, disadvantage is you are younger. I mean, I started out when I was uh, 14, you know, younger. So I've always been pretty small. Right now, I, I am a full-size man. But, <laughs> but back then, I was a eeny-tiny man, so... Power is a really is a really something that I lacked, and I think if you start forging, that can be a disadvantage. But on the other hand, uh, if you start out with a smaller hammer, I mean, should be fine. But the main advantage for me personally, that's also why right now I want to invest a lot in blacksmithing and try to learn as much about it as I can. Is when you start in. When you start out blacksmithing, when you have a job, when you have a family and such, you have other priorities. You just have yeah. other things that need to be done first. You have other things that need to be paid. I mean, it's just it's just not the first thing that you can do. You won't always find the time for it. So if you learn right now, I mean, you have a lot of free time. But when you are a grown adult with two little children hanging on your arms every time you enter the home i don't think <laughs> yeah. i don't think that's uh, as easy as it is now but then on the other hand you also have parents i mean i love mine but sometimes parents can be a bit hesitant which is of course to be understand to be very understandable because uh it does it does seem pretty dangerous at first glance to let your little eeny meeny child handle hot things that are like a thousand degrees and uh, yeah. will melt, literally melt through their arms if it falls on their, <laughs> falls on their arms. And also, I didn't help my case um, a lot when the first time I used an angle grinder, it was with my dad. I was wearing, uh, I don't know how sweatpants i think it's called oh. yeah i mean uh, you can pretty much imagine what happens um <laughs> my genital area caught flames <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, literally nice. it was that part but i i didn't realize it so i was grinding and i saw my father like waving like a madman yeah. and i was like what the fuck and he pointed down and i saw like flames <laughs> yeah there so my oh, first my instinct was i gotta smack the shit out of this so <laughs> i smacked but yeah that wasn't the best idea but yeah, like no. i don't know why but apparently that day i had like underwear that's fireproof or something because <laughs> it's lucky not not a bit of not a not even the tiniest bit of uh i don't know how to say it, damage on my uh, boxer shorts and like beneath um when the the shorts stopped like my leg was burned but like all the rest not and my pants were completely gone so i don't know <laughs> why shout out to uh bjorn borg <laughs> yeah, the boxers you want when you're forging 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you want your pee pee to be safe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should have been wearing the underwear on the outside. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, true, true. Or get an apron. Some leather underpants. Yeah, instead of like a leather apron, just Bjorn Borg boxer <laughs> shorts sound to, sewn together. <laughs> There you go. So the message I mean, is the only real challenge of being a young maker is crotch fires. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a small problem with crotch yeah, fires. Yeah, yeah. But don't also, get singed down there. Also, oh, yeah, no. um, maybe a bit experience because I didn't have a lot of experience. And when you are like older, I know most dads are like this. They are to do it themselves every mm. Sunday or Saturday. They get out, they get their drills, they get their power tools. They start tackling little projects. It's funny, but it also they also have that bit of extra experience, I would call it. And yeah. we don't have that. Yeah, so it's it's easier to pick up those skills because you have other applicable skills. I think. I, don't yeah. quote me on that. Don't say Peter Azard, anno 2020. Yeah. <laughs> dads who fix things at home are better at blacksmithing but I but they pick think, it up faster yeah I, yeah, I, I think it, it could be I mean well, that's, no it definitely it definitely is it's just like like now yeah. if I tried to pick up woodworking versus if I tried to pick up woodworking mm -hmm. with no blacksmithing experience yeah. mm. I will learn woodworking faster I can sharpen the tools yeah. already you know I'll be able to pick up Simple things like, you know, I know how to use a file well. I know how to, it's just, it's just yeah. basic things that you, you know, and they're applicable to other things, right? Yeah, so you don't have to learn everything from scratch. That definitely helped me Here, getting Caleb, into go it. ahead. Because my dad, you know, he's a woodworker like, and he's definitely a do-it-yourself person. Uh, Are you okay, Peter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was saying, you know, he's definitely a do-it-yourself yeah, person, you know, remodeling and stuff like that. So... Helping him from, you know, when I was pretty small definitely got me the, the basic, basic skills of how to not get hurt and, you know, where, you know, how to use even just a drill, things that can, for people who don't have that, you know, figure in their life can be very hard. But I already started with that advantage of having that experience. See, and can so I that is how you avoided crotch go fires in? then. That's how I avoided uh, crotch I just want to say, Caleb... Yeah, hmm. I just want to say, Caleb, I don't think you have the right to speak to me about, about that because I seem to remember an Instagram post <laughs> where I saw a hand with a nail through two or three fingers and I... Okay, not mistaken, <laughs> it was your yeah, hand, that one. so... <laughs> that one was not my fault. Yeah, that tell one us, was, let's hear yeah, that yeah, story. The crutch, so the crutch the fire summer, was I've not my working. fault, so... Shh, okay. No, wait, Peter, I want to I want to hear Caleb. Yeah, so over the summer I've been working for a contractor and I was framing up a wall, you know, it was on the ground, you know, how you frame walls. And I shot the nail gun. If you've ever used a nail gun, you know that sometimes it double fires. So it'll shoot, you know, one nail all the way through how it's supposed to and the next yeah. one will kind of just half go in, half stay out. Well, this time it happened. It fired and then the kickback from the firing, you know, it it yeah, it pulled the nail gun back from the wood and angled it up, and then it fired again, which isn't supposed to be possible, and went right into my left index finger oh. and into the palm of my hand. Which, if you've ever looked down to see a nail in your hand, 
is a very odd experience. So I, I had to go to the you know the emergency room and they pulled it out for me. So it was definitely a very interesting experience. I think Peter oh. left. Yeah, Cast is telling me he's just gone. Uh, hopefully he'll hop back in in a second though. That is a brutal story. I've never yeah. hurt myself that bad. I know I caught. I was experimenting with a the extra fine. It's not a Scotch Bright. It's the Norton version of the Scotch mm-hmm. Bright belts, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can just run the knife the other way and just be careful <laughs> not to catch the tip. And the tip caught right on the contact wheel, and it catches oh. on the belt, and it ripped a big hole in the belt, gouged mm-hmm. the contact wheel, or not contact, but just the, the wheel on top of the platen. Yeah. And it caught, and it ripped, like the tang of the knife ripped a chunk out oh. of my hand. And that yeah, was uh, that was annoying. It's funny. my forging hand, so. Yeah. Yeah, I had that yeah. happen, except without the hand. Oh yeah, it's it's scary regardless. And oh yeah, like, I took a second. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so scary. Like I can't believe that just happened. And I had I, to like, take a solid I, five minutes. I better minutes. check if I'm okay. And then I look <laughs> at it, and then I when I saw my hand, then it started to hurt. I'm like, oh man, mm. that's a lot of my hand gone. Well, that's but, what's interesting. When I shot myself, I didn't start feeling it until a lot of the adrenaline had gone. So yeah. when it actually entered, I didn't know for a second because i was just like well what happened where'd that nail go i was hoping it didn't go into the guy with the, that i was working with because that would be awful but yeah. then i looked down and you know there's a nail sticking out of my finger so did they knock you out to pull the nail out or oh no no they just put some uh probably lidocaine into the area they numbed my index finger but they were like it's gonna be more painful to numb the actual palm where it entered as well so they just pulled it right out, and I had had some morphine before that. So they actually, they pulled it out, and I just felt a little tug, and I was confused because I thought maybe they didn't get it, but and then he showed me to it, and they showed it to me, and it was out. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and expensive. Brutal and expensive. Oh, yeah, you guys don't have free health care. No. Yeah. I, was, I spent about four hours in the ER. And it was about four thousand dollars. Oh my god! That that yeah. can be like that's to us Belgians. That's insane. Um, it's insane to us too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. Like, uh, what was it that I did? So in the beginning of this year, um, I fell uh, like in a wrestling match. It was a brutal fall. Somebody threw me up, and I smacked down on my oh. back. Right on my shoulder, I broke like um, a, a short bone in my shoulder, and I had like seven ribs who were bru- badly bruised. So that cost me ten euros. Uh, in reality, it costed a lot more, but to us, it only costed ten euros. Then uh, I also had like a piece of metal stuck into my iris that costed like oh. thirty euros to remove. Uh, and I also had a big infection in my foot uh, from like an allergic reaction that cost 30 euros or something. Jeez. Those are, yeah, yeah, I'm getting old. But like all those things, (laughs) all those things are like, to us, it's pretty normal. Like if you break your arm, I I can't quote it, but it's like 200 euros or something. In reality, it's a lot more, but 
it all yeah. gets paid back. It's in your taxes. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> I know for us, there's a couple medicines that are only partially covered. But for, you know, for the yeah, most part, to, to cost four grand, you would have to be on some type of, you know, yeah. medication for like a year. And you'd cost yeah. four grand and people would maybe, complain about maybe that. Maybe chemo or something would yeah, be that much. On the treatments, it, yeah. You can pay, but for almost anything, it's free. It depends on, you know, what kind of insurance you have. We don't, well, we didn't technically have any insurance when this happened uh, because, you know, my dad only works a couple of months out of the year and the rest he's able to spend at home, which is really nice. Uh, But that means that when, you know, people get hurt, we don't have insurance. Luckily, we were able to get it covered with um, a government program because my dad wasn't working. So we technically were, you know, our income was so you know technically low that yeah. it, they would cover it for us yeah i mean i've uh i had to get a couple stitches in my thumb when i ran it through a bandsaw and um, you know i've cut open my fingers and after i make sure that i'm okay the you know the first kind of thought is man i hope this won't be expensive because it, and that's just kind of crazy that yeah, is that's how awful. that is here but well, I know last yeah. year we had to do a project in our social studies class about how bad American healthcare is. <laughs> like we had to watch a documentary and then like write an essay about the healthcare system and how it's <laughs> how it is versus the rest of the world and it was not flattering. In our yeah. school they sometimes use America as an example of like what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's interesting that it has gotten this bad, and I kind of sometimes I wonder what the cause of it is because if you think about it, you know, the system that we have going, you know, capitalism is kind of if you look at like Amazon, they've been because of our system, they've driven down the prices for certain of things, certain things, but that hasn't happened with healthcare. It's gotten more and more expensive, so that just kind of it it doesn't makes sense to me that you know that people aren't char- finding ways to charge less so that they get more yeah. customers but so the thing is out. sorry it's, it's well what it is is it's consumerism is what brings amazon's prices down because yeah. they can mass produce yeah. so much whereas healthcare you're gonna you're gonna pay what you have to and mm-hmm. therefore capitalism allows you to drive that price up yeah that makes sense that makes the sense. Thing also, the thing is also, like, American hospitals, they can charge as much as they want. If mm-hmm. I'm not wrong, for most things, they can charge as much as they want. I know a person that has been to America and landed in a hospital there. And uh, so when they had the, the receipt, uh, no, sorry, when they said how much it would cost, he asked for a receipt of everything that they used. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it was half the price and like half the things they never even used. And yeah. he, kno- he knew this because he was a doctor himself. So that's why he immediately said, I won't pay this because this is not right. Uh, so it- it's crazy how people are getting scammed in freaking hot hospitals in America. To-, to us, that's like, yeah, that's Some of that unimaginable. Is the hospital themselves are getting scammed by the suppliers because the suppliers know that the hospitals need those supplies so they can yeah, you know, but I, the price where I could get the same you know supplies 
for less money than the hospital can because like hospital will pay that money you know amazing capitalism that lets us all be greedy and they'll they'll still pay it because what are you going to do not you know not buy sutures you you have to yeah so see that's yeah. why i like i like capitalism with a pinch of socialism sprinkled in True. Yeah, you know, it's all it's, it's all about finding yeah. the balance you need a nice mix it just has but to be regardless regardless next time on the young politicians podcast <laughs> yes we will be covering war but for now i'm gonna interrupt your regular regularly scheduled programming for the young makers podcast and i'm gonna ask caleb what challenges and advantages you have seen with being uh, a young maker um so probably just the biggest challenge that i'm facing right now at least is that i don't have control over my schedule Obviously, I don't, you know, my parents are in charge, so they, they kind of dictate when I can and can't be working, which is very frustrating for a, you know, stubborn, six, almost 16-year-old that I am. You know, I want to be working, but at the end of the day, I don't pay for this shop. I don't pay rent, so it's, I, I don't have, like, a case to say that I need to be working right now, so that, that's probably the biggest disadvantage um, but there are definitely a lot of advantages. Like Peter said, you know, I don't have bills, well, not very many bills, and I don't have kids that I have to work out for. So I can spend all of my money, you know, on a new grinder if I really needed to because I'm not going to have to worry about how I'm going to pay for my phone next month. Uh, and, you know, maybe another one of the advantages that um, that I have and I know a lot of other people have is, you know, that my my dad does have tools you know my dad has woodworking tools and you know hammers and drills and screwdrivers and all of these things that you don't really think about the fact that you do need them. you know maybe if not specifically for knife making but if i want to make you know a little stand for my grinder i'm gonna have to use some of his tools so that's definitely one of the biggest advantages and one of the things that i'm i'm very thankful that i do have is this shop that, you know, it's the corner of the shop that I get to use and all of the tools that I have, you know, almost free range to. Obviously, I can't break them, but that's, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And that is definitely one of the biggest advantages that I have. Yeah, that's a fantastic, you guys both made some really excellent points. And I definitely can agree and identify with all the things you guys said. My grandpa has, you know, he's an established welder. He has a lot of tools. And his his dad left quite a bit of tools around, and so he he lets me use them. He's got a big, I think it's a twelve inch disc sander or oh. not disc sander, um, bench grinder. Sorry, that's even better. And it's completely silent almost, and no vibration at all, which what? is crazy. And yeah, you know, three quarter horsepower motor or something. It doesn't bog down. It's that's just insane. An, it's a jet, so it's pretty nice, and it's. You know, I'm really appreciative that he lets me use that. Mm. And I guess they have, my grandpa has a shop on, and my grandma, you know, they live together, of course. And yeah. they have a shop on the property being used for storage right now. Mm -hmm. And so the hope and the plan right now, but you you never know, people get busy or whatever. But mm. the hope and the goal and the plan right now is that I can hopefully be moving in there before winter sets in because I'm not working in an uninsulated unheated garage in minus 40 celsius yeah. which is minus 40 fahrenheit it's not happening yeah no. and so hopefully and i'm really appreciative of them they let me use their tools it lets me use the shop 
you know, and hopefully I'll be in that shop soon. But, um, and I guess it's good for him because then he has access to all the tools that he's let me use. So yeah. th- there is some aspect of a win-win, but really it's a win for me and I appreciate them for that. Yeah, and... I try to I try to make, you know, the sacrifice that my dad, you know, is making by letting me have this portion of the shop and, you know, all of the mess and noise that I make by, you know, cleaning up and helping, you know, when he needs help. Because I don't think I can ever really make the inconvenience that I am, you know, kind of worth it from a, you know, just strictly, you know, business perspective if he was loaning this to me. But I do try to, you know, do more good than I do bad. Yeah, which is, it's fantastic. You got you to gotta try your best to give back and to show appreciation to the people that help you. And yeah. it's definitely, definitely good. And you definitely appreciate everyone that tosses you something. Just like Peter, I know you said that a local blacksmith let you use his power hammer. And it's all, yeah. you know, that's exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Storms Forge here at Storms Forge on Instagram uh, recently got a hydraulic press, and he said that you know soon he wants to do, wants to have me up there and do a couple hammers or an axe or something, which I really appreciate. And he, I'm gonna buy a leg vice off him. It needs a new spring, but you know I'll buy that off him. So I appreciate that. And you know. He's got a billet of Damascus he doesn't want to work with, so he said, you know, we can do a collaboration. And so when people help you out like that, I just, you know, I want to say that I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, the blacksmith in my my town, he does a lot of, like, um, gates and restoring old things of old buildings because, of course, in Belgium, um, like, cities like Bruges and Antwerp, like almost all of the city is protected by UNESCO and it's all stemming from like the 1500s and earlier on. So there's a lot of old blacksmithing that needs to be replaced. So he does all of that, but he never done, he he has never made a knife or Damascus. And so we did this kind of trade where I got to use his equipment and I learned him how to make Damascus and such. So yeah, that was pretty pretty nice. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome if you can have something to offer for sure. Yeah. And that's something really cool about, you know, Europe or, mm-hmm. is that deep history and that, yeah. you know, yeah. there's wrought iron everywhere and I assume there's a lot more anvils than there is here he, because he, sorry. by the time people got here and maybe, what, maybe 18... Maybe even 1800s, people started coming, to, you know, this far west in Canada, and mm. so there's there's nothing nothing here is made out of wrought iron. I've found yeah. I've seen one piece of wrought iron, just around, you know, I found it at an old rail station, and so there's really not much of it at all, and and there's no yeah. castles. People in Europe yeah. say they see castles. All yeah, the time. yeah. Peter, Belgium. You, are there castles? Uh, in my town, the, so I live in a small town with about 30,000 inhabitants we have three castles belgium oh, come ha- on. belgium that's ha- not even fair yeah that's no no castles Search, all of yeah, north america let, yeah <laughs> we have like one um pretty nice one with like like more older with like a, a big 
I don't know how to say it, like a trench with water surrounding it. Uh, Yeah, the other one is Ruin. And then the other one is like pretty new Gothic style and was more of a a mansion for a a lord, but it's also a castle. It's fucking huge. Uh, uh, Sorry. (laughs) Uh, It's freaking huge. Um, So that's pretty nice. And it it has like a giant park and such. Uh, So, yeah, I mean... And Belgium has like the most castles uh, per square kilometer than anywhere else. So that's a nice I history. Belgium. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I know. Just, just for the All kids. right, guys. Like in- so I don't know if you can tell. We'll see how good my editing was uh, after the fact. But we had some technical difficulties and we're back now to wrap up the episode here. Uh, I just want to throw it back to Peter. You were making a point about wrought iron in Belgium. Yeah. So in Belgium pretty much uh, all the big older cities uh, they have a lot of older buildings and yeah as you can imagine everything there is wrought iron so this blacksmith in my town he does a lot of restoring of that and a lot of the iron is really rusted so what they do instead of trying to repair it they just cut it cut it out and weld new pieces in there but over the years he has collected a lot of this wrought iron and he has always kept it so right now he has more than a ton of wrought iron um, which is uh, like thousand kilograms of wrought iron just sitting there and uh, he's trying to sell it so yeah that's pretty nice that I can because he also said if I ever need any that I can just take it from that Pile, so yeah, that's pretty nice. That's lucky. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I can't find also, any around here. Yeah, yeah, me neither. But they like, they don't sell it because they don't sell it. You can never find it because they always smelt it, and only like people like him keep it a little bit. But I've never found anyone who had it for sale or who had it. So now I just found like more than a ton of rolled iron. So that's yeah <laughs> enough to last good. a lifetime that's pretty nice yeah well speaking of selling you know wrought iron um how have you guys transitioned from a hobby where you're you know you're basically free to do whatever you want into a business with you know customers and you know are you doing anything to increase your efficiency for production to make more money or are you just staying the course um start with caleb what do you do how has how has the transition been and how have you done it so i'm I'm not sure if there ever actually was a transition i always kind of started knife making with the goal that i would make you know i I wanted to break even I, i couldn't justify spending the money to make knives without the possibility of breaking even so i've always been open to you know people buying my work but it wasn't until probably last October maybe that I got my first knife sale and that was probably the first knife that was actually of you know sellable quality and from that point I was like if people are gonna buy this I want to make the best quality that I can even if it means that it takes a little longer I want to make it you know I want it to be very nice as nice as I can make it so that kind of leads into the um the efficiency and how quickly you're trying you're trying to speed up production and i kind of made the decision that 
yes, I'd like to put out a bunch of knives, but I never want to um, sacrifice the quality and the handcrafted nature of each knife for more production. So I will, you know, I, I don't like to make in more than two knife batches because in two knife batches, I can really put my whole, you know, mental focus onto each knife to make sure that I end up with as good a quality as pieces I can, which means that I don't put out nearly as many knives as I could if I, you know, kind of took the the route of Murray Carter, you know, trying to put out as much um, inventory as possible. Obviously, his knives and the ones made by the Mateki Bladesmiths are amazing, but he definitely has geared his style towards mass production, and that's something that I don't want to go too heavily into just because I like the art and the, you know, almost the passion that I can put into each knife when it's in a smaller quantity. All right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's nice. good. Yeah. I definitely hear you. Uh, I recently sold my first one. It was just this spring I sold one, and then, you know, they've gotten me a bunch of orders. The guy that bought it was really, really awesome about it, and he's helped me to get more orders, and now... You know, my books are full for the next couple months. And I, and yeah, my first knife that I sold, you know, it was a, just a custom order. He DM'd me like, hey, I want to get a chef knife. You know, could we do something? Mm -hmm. And so that knife was such a big step up because I told myself if someone's paying money for this, it's going to be crazy, you know? Yeah. And now every knife that I make for sale has, yeah, also followed that same idea. And I seem to just mess a lot of stuff up. So my <laughs> knives, you know, it, I only seem to get out like a knife every month or two, which is hmm. seems wrong because then I, I made one knife where I didn't mess anything up. I can do it in under a week, right? Yeah. So it's it's tricky. I'm trying to dial in my process to make it not faster, but less mm -hmm. less scrapping. Yeah, that's, and, that's an interesting thing. I've actually been thinking about that recently is I only have probably three knives that I've given up on, and they could probably be fixed, but I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to spend any more time to this. And I definitely mess up on almost every knife. I mean, this knife that I just put out, I was shaping the handle, and boom, 80-grit scratches right into the blade. I had to rehand sand and re-etch everything. But I was still able to put that knife out, and I think it's just that, if once I've invested time, I'm more likely to put even more time into it than it probably would have been to just start over, just because I've already put those that time, those materials, those belts, that steel, that wood, all of that into that, that I just, I can't let it go, you know? Yeah. Well, I value, I try and put a, a dollar amount on my time, mm -hmm. and I get free coal from a from a friend of my grandparents who replaced their, you know, their how their home was heated by coal and then they replaced it with natural gas. And so they have about a ton of coal that they let me use. But at this point, the coal is slowing down my production, whereas the propane mm -hmm. where I have to pay for it will speed it up. And so, you know, my time I've decided is worth more than the cost of the propane. Yeah. And so when I mess something up on a knife, and, you know, scrapping a handle, like when you grind into the hole made for a hidden oh, tang, right. or when you mess up a facet on an octagonal handle on the last grit using the disc sander, and yeah. it's too I small to feeling. go any smaller, you know, you yeah. just restart it. And so, 
you know, I try and put a dollar amount on my time, and if the belts are used to make it cost more than the time it would take, and I, you know, I do some quick calculations and decide whether I should restart or not. Yeah. And it's definitely, it definitely gives you a whole new perspective on the stuff you're making once you start selling it. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about yeah. that, what you said about the handle is I say that I don't ever scrap them, but I probably have easily for each of my knives, you could probably assign two like destroyed, didn't work handles. Obviously not all of them have a not working handle, but it seems to be the thing that I mess up the most. I mean, on this last one, I had a curly maple handle on there. It was like, this doesn't look good. So I made a whole nother one. And, you know, for hidden tangs, I keep snapping the scales, but it's very interesting that I'm, you know, I won't scrap a blade, but I'm so it's so easy for me to just completely start over on the handle. You know, maybe that's just because it's less expensive. But yeah, and the ha- the blade seems so much more permanent. It feels yeah. weird to destroy something or to give yeah. up on it. I give up on lots. Sometimes I lose interest, and I really hate that I do that. But I have a pile mm-hmm. of knives that I mean to work on when I have you know, the time or motivation. I just I'll come back to them. But I've noticed I restart a lot more now that I'm selling. Something mm. that I would have said, mm-hmm. oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, I'll just fill that with epoxy. I'm like, nope, unacceptable, I gotta yeah. restart. I... And I think it's because that work is going out into the world with my mm. name on it now. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know? I I have the same thing, like uh, the last two weeks, I've been just in a production. I've never finished that much knives in, in like one go. Um, and also for me this is new I haven't actually delivered any knives yet the only knife I've delivered was to a friend and like he only paid for the steel and the material so I won't count that so for me it's very interesting to like in one go have such a pile of orders like we are talking about four or five Damascus high layer, Damascus nice, kitchen nice, uh, each one like a couple hundred euros. So for me, it was a bit hard to immediately put such a high price on it. But yeah. You know, it's what your time is worth, right? True. And also like for me, like I've seen prices from other people, like 200 euros for a hand-forged, uh, hand-forged knife. I make 200 euro. I like the little leatherworking knife. It's a high layer Damascus with a, the piece of wood on it alone is like 40 euros or something. So, yeah, it, it was a bit hard to find the right price for everything, but I'm pretty happy with the prices that I gave. So, yeah. Well,. Mm. I got lucky too because my first customer, I kept track of how long it took me and the materials I put into it. Yeah. And I put, I told him, I said, my time is worth $10 an hour because, you know, I'm a kid. I don't have that much skill. Yeah. And so I, I didn't want to go crazy. And so I told him, you know, it's this much. And he was completely willing to pay that. And now that's my price, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact that I'm, I'm so glad that someone was willing to pay that. And now I realize that's what it's worth. Because I never would have put my knife's price where it is if not for that guy being willing to pay that much. And so now I get a, quite a few inquiries that are like, hey, you know, I want a knife or I want eight knives, one guy says, for a <laughs> bachelor party or like a groomsman gifts. And I'm like, all right, it's this much. And most people just don't reply. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Like... 
the the most annoying thing I find is like people that you know but aren't necessarily like good friends. People that do, that I mean, not that you're on a bad foot with them, but yeah. people that you don't have a lot of contact with, send a DM like, oh yeah, you make knives, oh. Could you make one for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I'd love to, like, this much I ask for that kind of knife, this much for that. But, of course, I mean, we can find a middle way. And then, yeah, so much. Yeah, why do you, like, um, wouldn't you ask less for a friend? Yeah, but yeah, I barely know you. Like, I mean, yeah. that's, that's also a fucked up thing because I have a mentality. Like, if a friend is starting a business or something... Like, you pay full price. That's just, like, I mean, for some things, uh, a friend can help you out. But if you buy something from, from their store or something, then oh, you're, you're just supporting them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's what I meant. Then you're supporting them. And like, I mean, come on. Uh, some yeah. people think that you sell knives for 20 euros or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. come on. Well, that, that probably comes from the fact that you can go to you know a gas station and buy a yeah true price. but i mean to be honest like not that i make the greatest knives in the world totally not but if you look at my page and like some of the recent builds i did and compare it to like some of the gas station knives i think it's oh, pretty man. obvious to see that i mean and of course somebody made it by hand that's always uh worth bit more so that's I, I don't get why some people just don't think about it but like, yeah, and, and your knives are definitely worth i think the the amount that you charge them because you make really great stuff oh thanks 100%. thanks yeah yeah it's really excellent work so and, shout out to myself peter <laughs> edgeworks <laughs> yeah yeah it, probably the reason that people don't understand why uh, handmade things are worth more it's because they've never made anything. They don't know what goes into yeah, and also, making something. You're sorry. buying a piece of that person. Yeah, also, yeah. Um, can I just hop in? Yeah, also, yeah. some people, don't. they see, oh, yeah, he made a knife in like two days. Because sometimes a knife goes fairly quick. If you have the right equipment, mm -hmm. you can make a Damascus knife in a day. But what they don't see is the years and years of training, of buying things that buying wood buying steels and then just them being failures uh i mean the not the persons but like what you try to try to make <laughs> so <laughs> the horrible the fact that that person is a failure oh poor poor knife makers yeah, yeah no failures. i mean what they, <laughs> yeah i was talking uh, about myself yeah, yeah. but no, I mean, yeah, uh, like what they don't see is like all all the time and effort that you already put into it that mm. I, I wouldn't say didn't amount to anything, but that didn't, that's an investment that you didn't have a return on yet. Yeah. So, yeah. and also like for me right now, my prices are very cheap for the things that I make. They're not perfect, but like mm -hmm. I know every time like, if I can do that better, I'll ask that that much more. And like mm -hmm. for some things, I, I know what my price is, what the end goal is. What When I have a good name, what the end goal is for what kind of knives. So that's something that I, that I try to, um, how do you say this, aspire to. To like, yeah. that's 
Mm. I don't want to go more than that because more than that, I wouldn't find it worth the money. Because, of course, the better you get, the better materials you have, the quicker making knives goes. So that's a bit a balance you have to have to find, I believe. Well, yeah, yeah it's a it's definitely is a balance between, you know, it's it's worth and your time and your time's worth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and as you as you get better, you know, as your knives start to be worth more, your time becomes worth more, and that offsets true, the true. the fact that you're spending less to make each knife in theory, but your the actual you know almost percentage that your time is worth of the actual cost yeah. gets greater. Because but, now they're paying sorry. for all the time it took you to learn and get yeah. to that point. Yeah, but the thing is also like I'd rather live my life and make. For example, knives at a lesser rate than if I were to work at an office or an accounting job. But every day that you, I've, I've done something, every day, even if it's just a day full of hand sanding, which is the worst, then you <laughs> go, um, how do I say it? You go indoors, you go to your room, and you've done something. You've achieved, yeah. You have achieved something. As opposed to being an accountant, okay, you've achieved something, but you didn't make something. You didn't achieve you can't something hold it. tangible. Yeah, you can't, you hold, can't it. hold the person's tax returns in your hands. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the person. I, I was just picturing an accountant <laughs> <laughs> at the desk, just, I don't know, deadlifting the guy. <laughs> It's like, all right, yeah. all right, I'm done with your taxes, so just come over here. I gotta, <laughs> gotta pick you up real quick. Yep. I gotta, gotta, gotta get, get these gains. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's. I think the the biggest upside, you know, going back to the advantages of being a maker in general, is the accomplishment feeling. You know, True. those hormones that you get from you know having made something and going to bed each night knowing that you accomplished something that day i think that's some of one of the things that makes me you know when i'm you know not feeling the best i'm in a bad place is because i haven't you know i haven't worked on knives i haven't made something i I don't feel like i'm accomplishing something so it almost feels like you know today wasn't worth having to go through the trouble of you know waking up almost you know yeah i get i get withdrawal yeah yeah, yeah to be sure. honest like i've before now this giant batch i have hadn't done a lot of knife making the last week months i've been busy with school and other things and like i am personally i am a person that if you set me set me in front of tv for a whole day the next day i will be cranky as fuck uh, oh yeah, I mean, me too. As frick, I, I just can't yeah. stand it. Jeez, G- man, yeah. fiddle down over there, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, bad family from show. Belgium. <laughs> Think of the children. You call it BB. Yeah, it's the Young Dash. Makers podcast, man. The show's for kids. This, this isn't Jeff sorry. Peter's podcast. But yeah, on the other know. hand, I mean, kids would already be in bed by now, yeah. at least in my time zone. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's two forty-five here. Yeah. What I also wanted to say was like uh, now with my batch of knives, I had one knife that I completely finished. It was perfect. It was beautiful. Uh, the the first little Seax, but I forged it a little bit too thick and it just uh-huh. was not sharp enough. I mean, you could chop wood with it, but for a small knife like that, and he wanted to use it to like fillet fishes and such, 
I don't know mm -hmm. why, but he wanted to do that with the, the CX. So I just didn't find it good enough and I started all over again. And that's like some of the things in the beginning, you will have more of that. And yeah, mm. that's just yeah. part of the price. Yeah. And you want to make your customer happy, especially when you're on your first few customers. I mean, those can be the people like Kinsey uh, was saying. You know, those first few customers can be the people that get you more customers, which go and make more customers. And it's just, you know, the basic business model of, you know, you want to keep your customers happy so that you get more customers. Yeah, my current order I'm on right now, I've restarted four times or three times. I'm on my fourth attempt at their knife. And it's because, you know, when what something small is all it takes and you just restart, you know, you you know, I want to send out something that I can honestly say is my best work every time, you know, and that's difficult for sure. But yeah. it's it's all in the game. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're coming up to the end of the show. I think, I think we've so had too. a fantastic. We're a bit over an hour now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been a great time. I've I've really sure. enjoyed talking to you guys. I haven't I haven't talked to you guys much outside of this podcast. But yeah, it's but definitely. It's, definitely been a good time oh it's Same. been a great conversation so, two guests is definitely awesome yeah, so i yeah. wanted to open it up to you guys before we end if you uh have any words of wisdom you'd like to share i'd, yeah. I'd like to let you guys go ahead <laughs> um so about the advantages and disadvantages uh of starting out young in blacksmithing and for me it's personally i think it's like making things in general in belgium we have this saying Jong geleerd is oud gedaan. And if I just completely abuse the grammatics of um, the saying, it roughly translates to when you do it young, you have learned it at an old age. A bit mm. like that. So what it comes down to, if you learn something young, you will always carry that with you. And that's the thing. The younger yeah. you start, the earlier you just enjoy start to appreciate processes of making things and the younger you start the more time you will have already gained learning those processes so even when you start out i mean if when you start out don't expect your first knives to be an integral chef knife dry hunter uh, <laughs> with like 10,000 layers of damascus that will never happen your first knives are going to be shit all of our first knives were shit and that's just how it is but you have to mine was appreciate. a masterpiece i'm sorry mine was a masterpiece what are you talking about <laughs> yeah my first knife definitely had a full edge on it and it didn't <laughs> definitely yeah it didn't it didn't quite come all the way down to an edge and the, my first knife the tang was, was round and just covered in paracord but i yeah. think it was uh, pretty excellent my first oh, yeah. knife was pointy on one end that was all I will say about it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it goes. I mean, you learn every every knife, even with me, and I'm sure even with Kyle Royer, that on every knife, on every knife, that he learns a lot. So yeah, yeah, it's mm. it's a constant yeah. learning process. Yeah. Uh, the Usually people don't have words of wisdom to share, so I definitely appreciate that you had something to close out the show nicely. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, yeah. can you beat that? Um, probably not. 
uh, I would just say, you know, what we were talking about when we had the technical difficulties before I came back on was that your biggest, you know, power in life is your ability to ask for things. If, you know, if you don't try, if you don't ask for it, you're never going to get it. And that's the same thing, yeah. you know, when relating to trying to make knives. If you don't try, if you don't, you know, ask and ask and ask and ask until you're allowed to do it, um, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. And if you have to restart on blades, yeah. that's, you, you got to look at it as, you know, you've gotten closer to making it to where you want to. So just basically summed up as keep going, you know. With this Gotta one, be a little pushy. Sorry, that's yeah. that's a lot more wise than I was honestly expecting. With from this me. one, I uh, <laughs> with this one, I also have a, another Belgian saying, and it is a ja, uh, sorry, a nee heb je a ja kan and this one I can translate a lot better. You have a no, a yes you can get. So what this means is like, you always have a yeah. no unless you ask, and you can get a another no but if you never asked you always had to know but for for it can also be that you that you get a yes and if you go somewhere and you are enthusiastic and you go somewhere and you are polite you are friendly and you ask and you help out people will learn you so much people will lend you things people will uh, people will i don't know how to say that will give you Look things i mean mm-hmm. half of they're the ver- material I, to help. yeah the half yeah. of the materials i got i got for free because i mentioned somewhere that i was trying to make knives and such and yeah. they were oh yeah 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 and because if you are polite people will are so much more likely to give you things and not that yeah. i am polite to get things <laughs> but it's just one of the things that comes with it if yeah. you are polite and you just try to learn things I yeah, I like put that. in the work, put in the work yeah, and then ask. True. You know, yeah, if you yeah, if you show yeah. someone that you've been trying and you just need a little bit of help, uh, they'll help true. you, you know, and that's Definitely. I think that's the yeah. moral here. Also, if anyone who is listening to the podcast has any questions about anything blacksmithing related, send me a DM. I'm sure that it will that is also counts for you guys, but send me a DM. Oh yeah. And if I can I will help in whichever way is possible and I'm also down to giving a video chat because I've already done video chats with beginning people who wanted to get into blacksmithing and uh, so I just gave a quick rundown of what were yeah. the essentials and what are some tips for starting out so yeah we we all love to help I think and yeah. actually you bring up a good point you guys hopefully will be on next week as well is the plan yes. right now we're gonna we're gonna stretch this out and do a part two and so i guess if you have any questions or anything you can send it to young makers podcast on instagram yeah. and we will answer them next week I don't, we're getting dangerously close to knife talk now if we're taking <laughs> questions but you know, if yeah. you do, uh, not we'll, patented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll try. We're definitely not inspired by any awesome podcasts out there, but we'll try our best to answer them. <laughs> that is a big lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, but thank you guys. Um, thank you yeah. guys, uh, Peter yeah. and Caleb, for being on the podcast. Thanks, man. I know yeah. scheduling was a gong show, but we got there and technical difficulties. It's been a day, yeah. but Thanks we made it through. Me. Yeah, it's, and yeah. I think we got an excellent episode. Personally, so, absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, 
another time. To the people who listened, yeah, I interrupted a lot, but that's because my connection is pretty shitty considering I'm on the other end of the ocean. So if you talk to me in person, I don't interrupt as much. <laughs> I do interrupt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, so uh, what I was trying to say was like, yeah, thanks for having me on yeah. and Caleb yeah. uh, for me personally. It's been an yeah, honor. I, had a, I found I had a great time. it a blast. I mean, it's always nice to talk to other people who share the same passion because here in Belgium, we have not a lot of young makers not a lot, of, not a lot of young knife makers, especially. So yeah, yeah. Right back at you, Thanks. man. I had a blast being on here. I wasn't. Yeah. I knew I'd probably have a good time, but I wasn't expecting to have quite such a good time, yeah. considering it's hot where I'm recording. But it's been a blast. It's so nice. It's been fun hearing yourself speak. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love the sound of my own voice, and that's the real reason why I do this podcast. Yep. So I'm sure. Thank you guys. I'm sure when you go to bed, you just turn on your own podcast, but like mm -hmm. edit it out so you only hear your own voice. Yeah, I just take my soundtrack <laughs> and just listen to it. Oh, yes. So anyways, 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 <laughs> we're wrapping it up. Thank you guys to my lovely guests today. Uh, you guys were fantastic. Shout out to myself, Peter Edgeworks. Shout out yeah. to Peter Edgeworks <laughs> and Gant Forge Works. Definitely. We will, I'll put their Instagrams in the what do you call it? The show notes. I will put mm -hmm. my Instagram and Young Makers Podcast Instagram in the show notes. Check out all of them. Yeah, if, we will be if coming back at you. If you aren't following us or Young yeah. Makers Podcast, what the frick are you doing? Come yeah. on. <laughs> get, get it right. Get it straight. Step your game up. We will be coming back at you guys every Tuesday. This podcast drops on the Makery Network which is a fantastic network of podcasts all directed at makers, made by makers, for makers. Uh, they're all excellent. I've been listening to all of them. Hopefully you guys have too. Uh, go check it out. You know, we've got big giants of industry like the <laughs> like Knife Talk podcast and, you know, Work For It podcast. What else? There's, you know, the art of craftsmanship is one I've been getting into lately, Full Blast. There's a lot of great podcasts on there for, you know, whatever you're into. So mm -hmm. definitely, definitely, definitely go check them out. They're all excellent. And so, yeah, I'd like to close it out by saying thank you for, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you would like to leave a, I don't know if there are likes on any of these services, but leave a comment or a review, a like. You know, More than send welcome me a DM. to like our Instagrams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like our Instagrams. <laughs> shameless self-promotion. <laughs> Shame, the most shameless. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep making, keep listening. Stay. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. Oh.